0: This multi unit focused series of the Global Franchise Podcast is brought to you by Fantastic Services, Platinum Way Franchising, Goldstein Legal, Fishman PR, and RevPR. For more information on all of our sponsors, make sure to head over to globalfranchisemagazine.com forward slash multi unit month. Welcome to the multi unit month takeover of the Global Franchise Podcast. I'm Kieran McLoone, Deputy Editor for Global Franchise Magazine and this month I'm taking you through the essentials of multi-unit and multi-brand franchising. Up until this point we've touched on many crucial aspects of multi-unit franchising, which entrepreneurs would need to know in order to succeed with their own expansive portfolio. We've heard directly from multi-unit franchise owners about the challenges that come with managing several locations and have also spoken with experts and consultants about the reasoning behind the growth of this specific form of franchise ownership. Last week, we also covered the legal and regulatory essentials that both franchisees and franchisors need to know. Our three guests provided a comprehensive guidebook, and we concluded with a look at where in the world multi-unit franchising works best. This episode marks the conclusion of our multi-unit series and to go out on a high, we're bringing together all the topics that we've covered up until this point. We'll be speaking with both an accomplished multi-unit franchise owner as well as a multi-brand franchise owner to find out the benefits and challenges of both forms of ownership. We'll then wrap up with an in-depth conversation with a franchising motivational speaker who took on the multi-unit challenge so that he could empathetically work with his many franchise clients. By the end of this series, you'll have everything you need to launch your own successful multi-unit or multi-brand empire. Our first guest this time round is Andy Johnson, a multi-brand neighbourly franchisee who owns three unique concepts, Mr. Handyman, Mr. Appliance and Mr. Rooter Plumbing. Andy's family has been a Mr. Rooter franchisee for nearly two decades, so he grew up with an appreciation for the benefits of the business model. When he encountered the unsatisfying services that other brands presented, Andy and his wife decided to take on their own Mr. Appliance store in 2013. From there, things began to grow. We speak with Andy about the evolution of his neighbourly portfolio over a series of years, but also why exactly he chose to go down the multi-brand route rather than developing a national network. As it turns out, the answer may not be quite what you would expect.
1: So my parents technically bought a Mr. Rooter franchise back in 2003. I was in high school at the time, uh, didn't really know much about it. Uh, We've always been in the plumbing industry, and so I always enjoyed plumbing. In 2010, uh, I moved from the field. I was out in the field uh, running service calls, and my father got sick. And so I moved from the field back into the office, and... That allowed me to learn kind of the what Mr. Irwin was all about by sitting in meetings and going to reunion and and uh, and talking to other franchise owners, and it went really well and and I really enjoyed it and and, and did halfway decent at it. And so uh, at that point, my father semi-retired. He just kind of hung around the office, and he's got an old car he works on, and and really got out of the business. Um, in 2013, my wife and I, as wash machine went out and we had three or four different companies come out and, and we're just frustrated with the level of service that we experienced and so we called corporate and wanted to buy mr appliance and so in november of 2013 we bought a mr appliance we officially bought mr router from my parents january 1 of 2018 that got kept getting pushed back a year after year because we kept having kids and so we had three kids in three years we've got four total and so we just kept delaying the, the, the buyout of Mr. Ruder, and, and finally made it official January 1 of 2018. Uh, and then about two months ago, we pulled the trigger on our third concept, uh, Mr. Haneyman. So we've loved the process of Neighborly, uh, obviously, because we keep buying Neighborly franchises and uh, just love the support. And, and it's, it's been a fun journey for sure.
0: That's a really interesting story uh, behind your your kind of franchising journey is one I imagine a lot of people have where it is part of the family. But then to, you know, you yourself develop that portfolio with other uh, neighborly brands is really testament to uh, obviously the kind of support that they offer. Um, and along those lines, I was wondering, you know, what was the rationale behind opening various brands after the Mr. Rooter plumbing, um, you know, operation clearly was running quite well for you guys and doing well for your family. But you said, you know, a couple of months ago, you decided to open up uh, a different brand rather than continuing to let's say open more units of that particular one. Um, why was that?
1: So that's definitely, I've gotten that question a lot, um, especially from corporate, you know, why would, why would you not want to buy you know another Mr. Rooter or open up another location? And, and to be honest with you, I've got Four young kids. I've got a nine, five, three, and two-year-old, and 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 I don't want to travel. I want to stay at home and, and be with them. And another reason was we, you know, kind of neighborly's concept. They want to put a fence around the customer. Well, I want to kind of do the same thing. Um, I don't I don't like telling customers we can't do something, uh, and we just kept getting calls for drywall repairs and and things like that. That that you know, on the plumbing or appliance side, that we would we would uh, have to access the the, the issue. Um, and couldn't give the customer resolution, you know, a complete resolution. We fixed their appliance, we fixed their plumbing, but we didn't fix the the, the access to the appliance. And so now uh we can do that. We we can we, there's pretty much there's nothing really we can't do. There are a few neighborly brands that we'll still recommend out if, if we can't do it, but we just we we, we want to put that fence around the customer as, as neighborly here in Memphis and and as our three companies and 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 never really have to say no to a customer. We will always be able to be able to take care of them.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense becoming, you know, a real sort of jack of all trades, as it were, being able to offer those multiple services. And I can completely understand that, you know, uh, your personal Goals out of franchising aren't to become a national-wide thing where you've got to be traveling across loads of different states all the time. Um, but where you have those three different brands and you know can go to a customer's home, um, have there been any opportunities for cross-brand synergy or kind of cross-brand promotion um, within your personal three-brand portfolio?
1: Absolutely. So we had really fast start um, on the appliance side uh, back in 2013, and and we've had a fast start with Handyman and. and and that's because the, our technicians are buying into the the idea of neighborly, um, you know. And it's and there's a difference between uh, telling Ms. Smith, "Hey, we recommend this company," and then picking up the phone, calling the office, and having the office call Ms. Smith to let her know that we can get that taken care of. So it's really the technicians out in the field. They, if you get them bought in, then they they can do better advertising than um, than any sort of online can do uh, because they're in the home. You know the customer trusts that technician in their home, uh, so they're going to trust that that technician's opinion. So you've got to sell it to your technicians that hey, we want to be able, we want to start these other companies, you know, not not to make a whole bunch of money, but to go take care of the customer. And that's and that's what they've really bought into is that you know they 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 can help the customer no matter what the issue is. Uh, and there's a ton of calls where we get, uh, for example, a, a, they think a kitchen sink stopped up. Or excuse me, they think that their dishwasher's messed up, and really it's a kitchen sink stoppage. And so, you know, the technicians have become friends across brands. You know, and they'll call the office for the customer to take that away from the customer. To, to, you know, it's it's all about the service and the experience. And if if I come to you and say, hey, you know, sorry, Miss Smith, you can't. It's not a it's not an appliance issue. It's a plumbing issue. Call plumber. It's not a good experience. But if we say, hey, Miss Smith, it's actually a plumbing issue. Uh, let me take the, let me take care of this for you. Let me get let me get on the phone with the office to see when they can come out there and see what's good for your schedule. And you take that and, and do that for the customer. Um, those are just small things that really make the, the, the best impression. Uh, and it's really fun when you've got the same customer with all three concepts out there at the same time. Um, that happened last week. They had a, a plumbing issue, an appliance issue, and, and needed a handyman as well. And so all three brands were out there. Uh, the, the guys said they were fighting over who got to put their doormat on top. So all the brands have a doormat they put down to walk their feet on. And so they're all throwing their mat on top and whoever was the last one in and out kept taking their brand mat and putting it on top and and so it's all it's all fun. We work hard but we also have fun and and, and uh, really have that, that 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 family feel.
0: Yeah, that's a really great example of I suppose as you say when multi brand franchising can really uh, benefit is when you are able to provide a complete 360 service for your clients. Um, and the the last question I want to ask you, Andy, is just about the fact that, you know, multi-brand uh, and to a degree multi-unit franchising is something that's traditionally been associated with the food and beverage or quick serve um, restaurant landscape where operators will buy, uh, say, um, you know, a, a burger restaurant and then they want a chicken restaurant and expand their portfolio that way. But we're seeing a lot more now, um, multi-brand franchising expanding through the home services industry like yourself with neighborly. And I was wondering um, what your take was on why you think that might be. Is there something about the home services industry specifically that you think lends itself to this form of multi-brand ownership?
1: You know, I think that's a great question. And I think that it all depends on how much work does the owner want to do. I used to be of the mindset that you can't own a Mr. Rooter or you can't own a Mr. Appliance or even a Mr. Handyman if you can't do the work. Um, And I've since changed that mentality. I can fix your appliance, but it's going to take me a long time to do it. And I'll probably screw up a bunch. Um, you know. But we've got 11 solid technicians who we've hired to fix the appliance. So that's not my job to fix the appliance. It's my job to make sure that we've got a company that employs people that can fix the appliance. And so to answer your question about the why people are getting more of the multi concepts, it's 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 definitely not easier because it's it's definitely got its challenges. I mean you're talking about running three different softwares, three different systems, three different business models, but it's just to me it's fun because like I said at the beginning, it's it's you're you're your taking care of the customer. No matter what the customer's issue are, you can still say yes to that customer. You know, so I, I think that, you know, a lot of people out there have one company and it's a solid company that does a really good job and it makes the makes the, the owner hopefully a good living. You know for us it really wasn't about making a whole bunch more money <laughs> we made the joke that if, if it was all about money then we'd have one or two technicians and and fire everybody else and we wouldn't have any overhead and <laughs> it'd be a lot easier and less headache but but to us it's about uh creating an atmosphere where we can bring people on we can uh, we can help them earn a successful living a good living for their family and be able to grow within a company you know we love bringing on. People who, who maybe know a little bit enough to get them in trouble and training and develop them. And, and over a year or two process, help them to where they're making, you know, 10 to $15 an hour up to making $80 to $100,000 a year. And to see them grow and transition and, and develop like that uh, is really neat. And the three brands helps with that as well because, you know, somebody might start on the Mr. Reuter side. and really find out that they're not they're not cut out to be a plumber. You know, they really like working on handyman stuff. And we'll transition them over to the handyman side, so it gives people more of an avenue, uh, as well, to grow within your organization.
0: Yeah, for sure. And I, I think that that um, you know that sentiment of that you mentioned of be, you know being able to acknowledge that maybe you can't do everything yourself, is a really great one to end on. You know, the sense that which a lot of multi-unit franchisees go through is the transition from working in your business directly as the operator or whoever it may be to working on your business and, you know, expanding it and strategizing it in a much more, uh, a bigger picture way. While the idealistic view of franchising is that it can generate you a considerable amount of money, Andy showed us the much more human side of the industry, which is of course something that I mentioned would come up a lot right from the first episode in this series. Yes, he has managed to grow his own portfolio with multiple neighbourly brands, but that hasn't caused Andy to lose sight of the invaluable workers that have acted as the backbone of that growth. Rather, he's opted for a more enclosed network so that he can support those that are nearest and dearest. This sense of passion and empathy is shared by our next interviewee, who embarked on a career with Tutor Doctor motivated not by greed, but by a desire to better the lives of students in education. David Boddy is a multi-unit UK-based franchisee for Tutor Doctor and currently owns nine territories throughout London and the surrounding areas. He partnered with the brand in 2018, but things didn't work out right away. In fact, quite a lot of self-reflection was required to make the opportunity really work. But now the creases have been ironed out, David's network is looking healthier than ever and is truly ready for the post-pandemic boom.
2: Uh, So as you say, we have a small education services company And in uh, 2018, uh, we recognized that too much of our income was from abroad and we needed to relocate almost, as it were, back into the UK. We wanted to get a stronger income base from the UK. Uh, We wanted to do it quickly as well. And uh, I came across uh, Tudor Doctor and was immediately taken by the, the values of the company and their, their mission, which is really quite simple, which is to change the trajectory of a young person's life. And that just so happened to accord with uh, what I'd believed all my uh, adult life and, and work through education. So they became a kind of a natural fit. Uh, I examined what the financial proposition was. The entry price, I, I, I felt, was uh, very reasonable. Uh, but we also recognized from the beginning that just to secure a single franchise unit was not going to meet our financial aspirations and it was certainly not going to allow the company to be run the way in which I wanted it to be run. So uh, initially we we bought three franchise areas and got those started having concluded the, the training. And then uh, the areas that we really wanted uh, came available to us. So quite quickly we moved to secure those, had some great support from HSBC in in doing this. Uh, And then our third uh, set of franchise areas, so we now have nine in total, our third set of franchise areas came available in a contiguous uh, area to ours that we were currently operating in. And it was a natural thing to go forward by that stage we had a lot of confidence in the business and a lot of confidence in the brand.
0: That's really great to hear. And it sounds like it was a very um, seamless growth experience. But were there any challenges as part of that expansion? And if so, you know, how did you go about um, solving those? Or how did Tutor Doctor, as your franchisor, assist with those? There
2: were, of course, <laughs> quite a lot of challenges. As we got into operating the franchise, we, we sort of found out what they were, where the pressure points were. So we uh, offer uh, initially uh, in-home and now online uh, tutoring services for children aged between around about uh, seven, probably the youngest we have, uh, right through to um, early adulthood uh, into the undergraduate market. So coping with A-levels and GCSE and 11 plus and so forth. And critical to the success of the uh, business that we have here, is our ability to match what the client is wanting with what we can provide in terms of a tutor. So that tutor matching process is very difficult. We had a, we, we had a, a, a really good problem in some ways to deal with early on because we were quite successful. We actually wrote our first business uh, as we concluded our training in Canada. Uh, and we picked business up very, very quickly. But then the ability to service that business was lagging. And so that was the biggest challenge. We got it wrong, frankly, at the beginning. Uh, we weren't making the matches between tutor and student as appropriate as they should have been. Uh, and uh, the consequence of that was we were having to, to give uh, far too many uh, refunds uh, to make the cash flow look comfortable. But we identified it. Tutor Doctor had trained us well to take a look at the data every week and every month as to what was happening So we identified the problem, and uh, by making some internal changes, we resolved the problem. And instead of uh, quite a high level of refunds, an uncomfortably high level of refunds, which we experienced in our first nine months, we reduced it to a very, very low level, uh, a very acceptable level. So that was the biggest challenge. Um, I think tutor doctors' help through this was fundamentally from the training, from the beginning, Look at your numbers, look at your numbers, understand what they are telling you and then be prepared to act. And of course, also in our first operational year, we had immediately available to us an experienced coach, as they call them, from the tutor doctor network in Canada. Uh, And he proved to be a, a, a really great asset to our team as well.
0: Right. I imagine at the time it may not have felt the case, but it seems like encountering that early on challenge probably has strengthened your network down the line now because you are so much more in tune with how to pair up those, um, the tutors with the students. Uh, And obviously, you know, you've got this network now of nine locations throughout London, and I know a big shift for... um, entrepreneurs going from single unit to multi-unit growth is the idea of working on a business rather than in it and naturally with that many locations you couldn't be everywhere at once so I was curious David um, for you personally how hands-on are you with the running of the individual tutor doctor locations compared to maybe the more bigger picture or business development tasks of your organization? So for the first two
2: years I was very hands-on I wanted to experience what each of my colleagues was experiencing as they were trying to do their jobs within the business and to get a really good understanding of the challenges that they faced. Uh, Now we're into our third year, I've been able to step back a little bit uh, and take a more strategic view as to the growth of the business. But of course, in that time, we've also managed to bring people on So I'm very fortunate, I have uh, two senior colleagues uh, who I regard as partners uh, in the business with me, uh, and they take the brunt of the day-to-day running of the business now. And I'm able to take a look at where strategically we should move, what tactically we should be doing. And of course, we've had to meet the challenge of COVID as everybody has. Uh, And in our sector, the biggest problem we faced is the cancellation now for two successive years Uh, of the public examination system. Around about 90% of our income was related to youngsters taking exams. And so with the cancellation of that system, we've had a financial challenge. But I'm very pleased to say that we've met it because we've been able to increasingly focus on improving our client servicing. Uh, And our client care, I would say now, is exemplary. And it is the one thing that has actually kept us with our heads above the water, not gasping for financial breath through the course of COVID, because we've had a lot of loyalty from our clients. And that has translated into renewal business, renewal business, referral business. Uh, New sales may have been quite tricky to get hold of, but we've kept the ballast going, as it were, by these referrals and these renewals.
0: Right. That's really great to hear that you've been able to adapt and persevere throughout this really tricky period. Um, the the last question I have for you, David, is just about something you touched on earlier that, you know, the Tutor Doctor brand very much aligns with your own personal um, views of education and uh, in a very positive way. And I was curious whether you think that your your passion, existing passion for education, is one of the main drivers for your success with the brand Um and, you know, whether there are any other key factors that you think have really contributed towards your, your ongoing growth with, uh, with Tutor Doctor. I think the passion has been uh, absolutely
2: essential um, throughout the whole of my working life in a variety of roles. I've been really inspired by the concept of uh, awakening in the morning and trying to lift the level of well-being of whoever it is that I've been dealing with. And this is particularly so for children the the role within tutor doctor is pretty hard work Uh, i I know some of my colleagues in the uh, in the franchise community have taken it on as a lifestyle Mm. we've taken it on as a business Uh, we want to clearly change the young people's lives but we also want to make good money from the business and to secure the well-being of our staff as well so we've taken it very much on as a business In the low points, when it gets really quite uh, tricky, sometimes it's that passion which keeps us going. And I think if you don't have a passion for uplifting youngsters and for making their lives better, then uh, uh, you'll run out of steam in this business. I think it's really essential. And we would say that it's been the core driver for us to go forward. And we see over the forthcoming years that it will continue to be that which inspires us every day.
0: I really appreciated how candid David was with his story behind the Tutor Doctor growth. All too often it's easy to assume that franchise growth and expansion, particularly with multi-unit operators, is a one-way ticket to success. So hearing about the hardships and challenges along the way is a great reminder that franchising requires as much resilience as it does business expertise. Our final guest today knows a lot about this, having worked with countless franchise brands to overcome challenges and be the best business that they can be. Scott Greenberg is currently a motivational speaker in the franchise industry, but he has also had a taste of multi-unit success, having owned and operated multiple Edible Arrangements locations. Rather than seeking financial returns, however, Scott got involved with Edible to acquire a deeper understanding of how the franchise process works. Through his hands-on experience, he was able to not only bring further authority to his keynotes, but truly comprehend where franchisees are coming from when they reach out to him seeking guidance. You know, I got into franchising uh, in the first place more so for
3: the lessons themselves than simply to make money. I had been professional speaking about, you know, leadership and peak performance for a number of years, but I wanted a business to use as a laboratory to ask questions, to try out concepts and to experiment. And so that curiosity was there from the beginning. Hmm. And so for me, I was a little bit slow to acquire my second location because I really wanted to figure out unit level profitability. I really wanted to figure out one and then figured once I mastered that, then I could experiment. All right, so what's it like to run two? And that step was huge and stressful and fantastic because it really forced me to think differently, to come from a much more sophisticated place and to ask different questions. And I have a lot of. You know, people who come to me inquiring about getting into franchising in the first place, and they ask me if I recommend multi-unit ownership, which to me is like uh, you know, a parent coming to me saying, "Hey, Scott, do you think my wife and I should have more kids?" <laughs> you know, it's 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 kind of a personal question, and whether mm. or not you're going to be successful in expanding your family, it depends on a lot of things. I happen to be a big fan, not just because of the increased opportunities, uh, but also because I just think it develops you so much more. As a leader, because you have to be sophisticated. So I really learned the difference between running a business and refining systems and the difference between managing employees and growing leaders. And in particular, I really learned about the importance of removing myself personally as a necessary element of the business of being able to replace myself and replicate what I was doing because just like when you're, you know, raising kids and you're growing a family, you're raising them to be independent. You're raising them to not need you as much. You're really doing the same thing with multi-unit ownership. You're trying to create an enterprise that's less dependent on you. And for people who are more inclined to single unit ownership, they just want to, you know, they literally want to buy themselves a job. They just want to work, but they want to be the owner. Well, then single unit is great, but to graduate to Multi-unit, you really have to think differently, and it has to be less dependent on you. I'd say one final lesson when I reflect on this was that of willpower. And the reason why I say that is from the very beginning, when I got into franchising, I felt a certain amount of pressure to expand. I mean, Edible Arrangements, I do think from the very beginning was always very pro-franchise franchisee success. And I have always appreciated them, and I continue to. But over the years, there were certain development people who are quite aggressive, and every time I talk to them, it's like, hey, Scott, when are you going to get your next location? And they didn't know my values. They didn't know my goals. They didn't know what I was up to. So they were trying to kind of pressure me to make a decision that may not have been right for me or not at that time. So for me, it was also a lesson in willpower about you know, determining when is the right time and what are the conditions for which I'll be ready. So it was a, a huge learning experience. I would say going from a single unit to multi-unit was as big for me as going to not owning one to buying my first
0: right okay so yeah real substantial change there um it's interesting you mentioned that you know you had that initial unit and then later on decided you wanted to acquire another because some of the people we've spoken to throughout this series have highlighted that sometimes it's a really important step to you know lay the groundwork initially and decide you want to be a multi-unit franchisee because then you can plan ahead for things like you know acquiring enough of a, a a region so that you can develop um Is that something you've encountered when you've spoken with franchising and franchisors is that, you know, do you run into certain roadblocks, perhaps, if you don't plan for multi-unit growth initially? I mean, obviously, of course, in your case, you know, you managed to acquire that subsequent edible arrangements uh, location. But is that, you know, is that more the exception rather than the rule, do you think?
3: I think that if I were ever to get back into franchise ownership, and it's quite possible that would happen I would never do it without knowing that there would be an opportunity for expansion. I would never do it just with the idea that I'm only going to have one. Now, whether that means I build out more locations and territories or I acquire them from existing franchisees, you know that will depend on the circumstances. But for me, the beauty in franchising, the real opportunities are in expansion. So... Um, In fact, I just uh, had an article come out in a a publication where I talked about what to really look for when exploring franchise opportunities. And one of the criteria was that there are opportunities for expansion. So I I didn't do it the first time. I really didn't have that kind of foresight. It's one of the things that I learned, but in advising other people, and if I were ever to do it again, absolutely, you want to make sure that there are opportunities to become multi-unit should you decide to make that choice.
0: Right. Okay. That's some really useful advice. And for people who maybe are embarking on that multi-unit journey, they know it's something they want to do, they've planned for it. Um, What do you think are some of the challenges they could run into if they don't develop sustainably and, you know, carefully alongside their franchisor? It is a
3: huge question, a big, long list. Uh, I'll I'll tell you a few things that come to mind as you ask that. First, understand that, you know, everything, when you expand, everything gets amplified except your time. Right. And accept your energy, right? So you're gonna have more bills, more employees, hopefully more revenue. But if you're not operating profitably, for operating at a loss, we well, might be multiplying that as well. Everything gets multiplied, and so if you're not prepared for that by having you know enough capital, you know put away, you know enough funds, you don't have credit, if you don't have a team, um, if you don't have time management skills, you're in trouble. So it's really important that you as the aspiring multi-unit owner, understand the difference with everything that's going to take your time to distinguish between the operational tasks of the business and the growth tasks. If you're going to expand, you as the owner need to put more time into the growing of the business, which is creating sustainable systems, develop coaching employees and developing them into leaders, marketing compared to you be the one who's flipping burgers or you know at the register charging people for ice cream. You really need to think differently. A lot of people are not prepared for that. I also think it's important that you master single unit profitability before you expand. And a lot of people would not advise that. A lot of people think, well, there'll be more profit once you expand. Well, that could be true, but not necessarily. If you really don't know what you're doing, do you really want to do it at a larger scale? I met one franchisee who I was writing my book who is touted as the ideal franchisee in this franchise system. He owns nine locations. Brings in uh, millions of dollars into the system every year, for which obviously, um, you know, there's big royalties paid on that. And at the corporate office, there's even a poster that shows him and his wife standing in front of one of their locations. But he revealed to me he was actually making more profit when he owned just one location than when he was owning nine. Right. Uh, so I, I think it's re- really important that if you haven't figured out what's going on at the unit level, you got to be careful before you. Expand and yes, there's opportunities for savings and for increased profitability. But you first want to make sure that you know what you're doing. Um, I think another area where people slip up with multi-unit is they don't promote enough collaboration among the various locations. Often they'll set them up to compete, thinking it'll motivate you know employees or whichever managers are there, thinking, okay, let's see which one of us are going to get bigger sales. But that can work against you because suddenly. Someone from one location is not sharing resources or sharing ideas with the other. You want everyone bought into this big picture where all employees and especially managers see themselves as part of a larger system that they're responsible for, not just their location. I, uh, when I opened up my second location, I took my assistant manager and I said, all right, I'm putting you in charge of the second location. Think of it as your store and I want you to build it up. And she loved the idea. So she's there for months and she did a great job. Well, suddenly our circumstances changed and I had reason to move her back to our first location. And when I told her, she got really upset and it really impacted her work. And the reason is because she felt all this ownership towards the second location that I put her in charge of, that she felt no investment in the first one and wasn't thinking in terms of the overall business, just the one location. So it's important that we help our teams understand that no matter where you're based or you spend most of your time, you're part of something larger. We don't want to create silos we don't want to create subgroups we want everyone to think in terms of the bigger picture on the other side of that to answer your question about you know slip ups and whether it could be a mistake is that i think a lot of times multi-unit owners um don't have enough separation with the businesses meaning they might have one checking account or one profit loss statement to cover everything and the problem is when everything gets muddled together you don't really separate what's happening well then you don't know what's happening. You can't run reports that are specific to your location. You don't necessarily see the opportunities or see the leaks that are taking place. And so I think that while you want a collaboration to take place in terms of how it's operating, in terms of your accounting, your bookkeeping, your bill paying, you really want it to be separate so that you know how each business is operating, can find the opportunities and find the problems. And should you decide to sell just one location instead of a whole enterprise, you're gonna to wanna to, you know know what the numbers are for that location. So it's sort of like, you know, if you're a parent, you wanna do what's best for the whole family, while at the same time, you know, be aware of the unique needs and opportunities for each one of your children.
0: Right. some really useful advice there, because I imagine some people may get wrapped up in the idea that, you know, multi-unit franchising is acquiring more and growing bigger and it's all very positive. But, you know, as you say, you need to be mindful. There are steps you need to take to avoid these slip ups and pitfalls that could cause a lot of trouble down the line. Um, One of the things you touched on there, Scott, was this idea of collaboration. And that brings us quite nicely to um, multi-brand franchising, which is, of course, another sort of element slash parallel kind of thing alongside multi-unit. Um and I was curious whether you've kind of encountered any universal things that franchisees should look for when acquiring more brands within their portfolio. So, you know, um, as well as, you know, let's say you have uh, multiple McDonald's locations, of course, you could swap labor between some of those and other things like that. Are there any other interactions between different brands, either a part of the same industry or of different industries, in which, you know, being a multi-brand franchisor is a really beneficial thing? Being
3: a multi-brand franchisor or a multi-brand franchisee? Sorry, uh, excuse me. A multi-brand franchisee. Got it. Okay. Well, I think one thing to look to look for, at least to explore, is to get a sense of how supportive will the franchisors be of that. So, if you own a McDonald's, how supportive will they be if you decide that you want to open up uh, a a coffee franchise or in-home senior care franchise? Are they supportive and encouraging that, or aren't they? They, I don't think they can stop you unless there's you know some sort of you know something in the franchise agreement, but Ideally, you want to make sure there aren't going to be conflicts and that they are going to support your growth. I have come across a lot of franchisors who definitely are not real excited when they find out their franchisees want to do anything outside of that franchise system, even to the point where they don't want franchisees attending conferences and events where there might be you know, people from other brands there because they would rather kind of keep them within the uh, the walls of their own franchise system. Uh, so I, th- I think that if you're considering multi, uh, multi-brands, just to kind of get a sense of how supportive the franchisor is going to be, and is that a problem? I do think you want to look for opportunities where there can be cross-promotion. Can you run ads where there's reference to both brands? Will the respective um, franchisors allow for that? Um, are there opportunities for there to be multiple, um, you know, operations? Can they, you know, somehow, you know, share part of a kitchen or share storage? If you, you know, at one point, just for a few minutes, I considered buying into a vending machine franchise, and my thought was, well, edible arrangements. We have delivery vans that are already out in the field delivering fruit arrangements. It wouldn't be that difficult to throw some candy bars and some potato chips into the back of the van and fill up some vending machines, you know, while we're out there. Ultimately, I decided not to do that. But if you have one business going already, it's good to know what are, where are the opportunities operationally that could make running a second location easier. Uh, I do see uh, multi-brand franchisees who will cross-train employees to be able to work at uh, various locations or various businesses. And that's great, especially for brands that have seasonal work. So uh, I, I've seen that. But also it also gets back to, again, one's time. You know, Time is something we're only going to have less of. So it's complicated enough to run multiple units within the same brand. If you're now going to be running multiple businesses for multiple brands, it's that much more focused, that much more time, that many more meetings. So you just want to make sure that you're really, really good at managing your time. You're working smart to make sure that you can still do these things and, you know, still be able to, you know, get eight hours of sleep.
0: Yeah. And on managing time, just another quick question off the back of that. Do you think that that means that um, multi-brand franchisors should try and, you know, acquire brands that are within the same uh, industry as them, for example, one restaurant to another? Or do you think it's not really as black and white as that and they kind of need to dig down more into what actually it means to run a certain concept?
3: I don't think it's black and white. Um, I do think there's advantages of Doing things that are similar because maybe you're buying from the same vendors, um, you know, running ads together might make sense. But again, certainly, you know, running a vending machine franchise and edible arrangements, these are very different things. But because of the delivery aspect, there were was an opportunity there. So I think it's less about the product, service or solution that you're selling and more looking at it operationally and seeing is there overlap that can work to your advantage? Whether or not it's in the same industry, again, it comes down to what are the operational components And, uh, how smoothly can you run both?
0: Yeah. So people just need to really do their research beforehand. Uh, the, the last question I've got for you, Scott is just kind of encompassing everything we've spoken about over the course of multi-unit month. Um, you know, the general sentiment is that multi-unit franchising is uh, a positive thing and is also an incredibly, um, you know, it's growing at a very strong rate. And I was wondering, um, From your experience and from people you've spoken to, operators and franchisors, what do you think are some of the main reasons that multi-unit franchising is a a positive force within the franchise industry?
3: Well, as someone whose job it is is to develop business owners, develop franchisees, to be better leaders and more effective, I love that it just forces them to go through that process. It forces you to be more sophisticated, to manage your time better, to become a much better leader to become much more efficient in your marketing. And so I, I love that aspect. I think, you know, it's obviously there's opportunities to make a lot more money and to, you know, create something on the back end will have more value. But I also like what it does for the franchisees themselves. It just makes you a better business person. So there's more efficiencies, there's more consistency, there's certainly there's greater opportunity for profit. That's where profit becomes limitless. If you're really willing to expand the big money is in multi-unit. And I think the franchise industry is designed for that. But another advantage that I think is worth mentioning is that you're going to get on the better side of a franchisor when you're multi-unit, when you're really sure that you're up for growth. You know, Sometimes I hear franchisees say, well, our, our franchisor plays favorites. Well, they do, and they should. I mean, as long as they're You know, adhering to the requirements of the franchise agreement, meeting everyone's needs to the extent they're supposed to, they're not, you're gonna see some franchisees who are more pleasant, who are friendly, who are easier to work with, who do a better job representing the brand and who are willing to invest at a deeper level. And when you're one of those franchisees, the franchisors are gonna notice, they're gonna respect your opinion, they're gonna return your call sooner. And that's a great position to be in. And so I don't think someone should buy multiple locations so that they can be more liked, but it certainly is an advantage that you're going to have a, a deeper relationship with your franchisor and be able to advocate for yourself with just a, a stronger voice. And so that's one more advantage. Overall, I think that if you are interested in owning a business, own a business. But I think if you're interested in franchising, I think it's best to wrap your brain around the idea of multi-unit because there's just so many more advantages to it. And uh, I, I just think it's the way to go.
0: Scott's closing sentiment is a perfect note to end our multi-unit month podcast series on because it encapsulates everything great about this form of business ownership. Multi-unit franchisees are pushed to be better and in doing so, truly learn how to streamline their processes and make the entire operation as efficient as possible. But it's only through building a stellar team and learning along the way that this level of superior management can be achieved. And that brings us to the end of yet another episode in this multi-unit month takeover of the Global Franchise Podcast and the end of this series as a whole. We hope you've enjoyed the numerous conversations that we've had with franchising professionals over the past four weeks and have taken away key pieces of advice that will allow you to embark on your own multi-unit journey. If you missed out on any episodes or would like to revisit particular conversations, don't forget that all multi-unit month content is available at globalfranchisemagazine.com forward slash multi-unit month. From there, you can also view our recorded webinar sessions and download an exclusive report on multi-unit excellence.
3: If you like the podcast, subscribe and recommend it to your friends and colleagues. Or even better, leave a review or a simple rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you find your pods. To keep up to date with franchise news and have it put into context by the Global Franchise
0: Experts, subscribe to the magazine, hit us up at globalfranchisemagazine.com and follow us on Twitter, Facebook and LinkedIn today.